Welcome, everybody. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched two movies this week. You know already. You clicked on it. We're doing The Kissing Booth. Particularly, The Kissing Booth 2 just came out on Netflix uh, July 24th. Uh, it's the biggest thing out right now. It's number one on Netflix. It even brought its original The Kissing Booth back into the top 10 <laughs> on Netflix, which is like staggering. And I completely disregarded it because I never, ever thought that this would be based on a piece of pre-existing material. This is based on a book. This is crazy. <laughs> I, I was shocked. So that's why we're doing it. It's the biggest thing out this week. And lo and behold, it is based on something. What are the odds? <laughs> it's also bizarre because it, who would know that that is the biggest piece of media? This odd, teen, cheesy rom-com. I have a quote from the chief content officer of Netflix, yeah. Ted Sarandos. He said, the first one was one of the most watched movies in the country and maybe the world. And according to them, what's also crazy is that one in three viewers re-watched it Whoa, based on their that's... metrics. So it wasn't only just popular, it was doubly popular. This is wild. This is bigger than I ever knew. So why not? Let's get into it. It is about a girl who has a best friend, a boy best friend. They're born in the, the same day, the same hospital, and they grow up together. When they get later into high school, the girl starts kind of crushing on her friend's brother. And most of the films are about how does she keep up both relationships? And hilarity um, ensues. Yeah. <laughs> but also um, a bunch of other nonsense. Some reviews critically... Hated. Completely panned. Oh my God. Atrocious. Some quotes, a sexist and regressive look at relationships that highlights the worst impulses of the genre. Oh. Another one, it feels like it was written by someone who simply digested everything she told was romance. Nearly every cliche in the film feels cribbed from another movie. Ugh, Just universally cool. hated. Just uh, on that note, uh, I've got a list of, of a couple movies that, uh, that are shorter than The Kissing Booth 2. The, the Kissing Booth 2 is over two hours. Uh, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rear Window is shorter than. 12 Angry Men is shorter than. Sunset Boulevard. Goodwill Hunting. Singing in the Rain. To Kill a Mockingbird. Moonlight. The Empire Strikes Back. The Favorite. Gravity. Yeah. All shorter than The Kissing Booth 2. They're, they're kind of massive movies, but I have got to say outright, they're not hard to watch as as you know, they're not beautiful pieces of filmmaking. Right. They it's an are entertaining. Controversial piece of media for that reason. I also saw it's technically a trilogy and the third film like Lord of the Rings was filmed back to back. So the next Kissing Booth 3 is coming out in 2021, but they filmed it at the same time as Kissing Booth 2. Kind of a shock. Nobody re even realized that there would be a third one to begin with. So th it has a huge weekend. And on Monday, they're saying, and guess what? There's another one coming. <laughs> Good Lord. And we already shot it. So here's the question that boggles <laughs> us. How is this popular? And I've got four answers and one that ties into the book, which we'll explain. One mm -hmm. of the reasons, lack of teen romantic comedy, specifically for this generation. So we talked about Clueless in another episode. Right. Uh, the Breakfast Club is a big one. Mean Girls even for our generation. And that and look, that movie's already, it's pushing 20 years old. The movie came out in 2004. Uh, we're getting we're getting on it. So if Mean Girls is almost 20 years old, sorry to make everybody feel old. <laughs> I know I am. You know, then think Clueless. That's another decade older. Yeah. Than there isn't really God. an aspirational, exaggerative teen rom-com that exists in the current stratosphere space right. so that's where i saw the use in it I, and and it's a double-edged sword that we'll get into that, that there's part of it that is big teen escapism it's big yeah. and pretty and lavish with 
crazy set pieces and, and beautiful actors. And, you know, it's it is pure escapism. And there's a place and time for that. But if it can't be your gold standard and we'll get there. Yeah. Number two reason that it might be popular, Jacob Elordi and Joey King, the two stars, they had a real life romance what? that percolated on set. They're not together anymore, oh. but that boosted their Instagrams up to millions and millions of followers. And because this is Jacob Elordi's mm. first movie, so it really elevated for people that are interested in that sort of thing, right. the stardom and the mixture of real life and on-set romance and all of that buzz. It's that it's that teen energy, man. <laughs> <laughs> Horniness. That's what <laughs> Number three, Netflix did a very rare thing, which was advertising it on TV nationally. So it's odd that you would see a Netflix commercial for a show on cable. Right. I do remember seeing them. Uh, it kind of put me off guard. But then I, I, it did what it was supposed to do because I'm like, oh, yeah, I do remember there was a first one. Interesting. And then I went, <laughs> I'm watching a Netflix commercial? <laughs> and then the fourth thing, the way that Netflix even found out about this is this service website called Wattpad. And just as a uh -huh. tease, we won't get into it just yet, but it's something that gets 80 million monthly users. Yeah, massive. Yeah. It is a mix of fan fiction and self-publishing. Some of our listeners probably know about it, but that is how this thing was found. But I thought before we even get into Wattpad and this thing being found mm -hmm. to talk about what it mixes well, which is fan fiction and self-publishing, Mm, things that mm. I don't think we've covered yet on the show and are a huge no. part of literature and film. I mean, th these are the types of formats and, and, and deals emerging right now as, um, as we're continuing growing our technological advances. That This is a percolating a new kind of platform, a new corner space that maybe can actually drum up some huge money. Like th That's what we're looking at. <laughs> right. So let's talk about fan fiction first. Before copyright, it was not uncommon for authors to directly pull characters and plots from other sources. Like This is a big part of writing in general. Mm -hmm. I believe we talked about this when we talked about Shakespeare in regards to our Hamlet episode, how there mm -hmm. was a, a Amleth, which was this old story <laughs> that he was, he was curbing from. So Shakespeare right. did this a lot. Romeo and Julia is based on an Italian tale that was called The Tragical History of of Romeus and Juliet, which came out in 1562. Shakespeare, the biggest fanfic writer <laughs> of them all. He is. <laughs> Just some other ones real quick. Othello is based on a Moorish captain, which was published in 1565, and Much Ado mm. About Nothing pulls characters from three different poems that were around at the time. Taming of the Shrew, he pulls a plot line from Supposes, which was an Italian play. Oh. So you're right. He was just a fan fiction fiend. <laughs> Just taking Such plots and characters and textualize them. <laughs> yeah, everything from all of it. So, and then another facet of fan fiction that maybe people say it's uncreative, but a big piece of it is it's often reduced to kind of the sexual elements of a piece of work. The right. classic like Harry Potter fan fiction. Draco and, and Harry. Draco and Harry Potter together. You know, <laughs> that's stuff what like I'm that in like, for. It's fans, yeah, <laughs> taking the characters and and recontextualizing them into their own fantasies. But a lot of it ends up being sexual. This yeah. is not new to the modern era. So the first thing that really saw this was Gulliver's Travels, hmm. and uh, I'll post a link. It wasn't even necessarily writing, but artwork related to Gulliver's Travels. Some quite body things with hmm. uh, him and the Lilliputs. Oh no. <laughs> Oh, so like I said, no. I'll, I'll post a link to it. Um, if you haven't guessed yet, this is going to be our most salacious episode <laughs> yet. 
<laughs> um, but Gulliver's Travels started the the sexy fan fiction artwork. <laughs> that is bizarre. The Tumblr, yeah. <laughs> the Tumblr artwork of the 1700s <laughs> was for Gulliver's Travels. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, some other work around this time, and I didn't know about this guy, Samuel Richardson. He had a classic novel that came out in 1740 called Pamela. And it was about a lady's maid who was on an isolated country estate and she resists the advances of the squire, her boss. Sounds very ah. romancy. Readers, though, were interested and liked to envision scenarios where she gave in because this was a prudent time. So she did not succumb to his advances. Oh. So his arch nemesis, fellow novelist, this guy Henry Fielding, was critical of those puritanical ideas, and he mm -hmm. created his own version of the book Pamela, where she's just playing coy to increase the other guy's lust, and she's sort of this super sexy villainous laying out plans to entrap him. And oh. it came out the next year, and it's called Shamala. <laughs> and readers got a kick out of that. And then he also, this guy Henry Fielding, wrote a book called Joseph Andrews, which is a gender reversal, and it's Pamela's brother who resists the seduction of the landowner's rich sister. Oh, interesting. Okay. So this has been going on for hundreds yeah. of years. <laughs> so that's that's kind of the the historical piece of fan fiction, that it has been around for a while, from Shakespeare into the Industrial Revolution. Very interesting. Specifically as it relates to sexual content. That so is, let, it, yeah. it's, it's funny that that's all, that seemingly is always like a cornerstone of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not new. Not new at all. So now let's talk self-publishing because that's the other side of this. Right. Traditional publishing, how that works is the publisher bears the costs and the risks, but retains the profit if the book is successful. And that's how most books go. You give it to Penguin Press. They front all the advertising, pay you money, but then maybe you don't get as big of a percentage if it right. does well. But if it doesn't do well, then they just paid you a bunch of money and wasted their time. Self-publishing is the other option where the author takes on all the cost and risk. They say, I'm going to front the money to get this book out there. But and then if it profits, I keep it. <laughs> I get a bunch. So the self-publishing is not as well known or successful because of that risk. Very few right. people either have the money or just there's more people that just do a bunch of stuff and doesn't do well. But it's not uncommon really in artists that we do know about. So the big one that we talked about before, Jane Austen. Remember, mm -hmm. she fronted the money for Sense and Sensibility, and that right, was her yes. first. And then that guy printed it on weird paper and didn't do well. <laughs> um, Emily Dickinson, Mark Twain, Edgar Allan Poe, Rudyard Kipling, all of them at some point fronted their own money to self-publish. Oh, interesting. So it is maybe a piece of if you do want to become an author and you don't believe that the publisher if not, knows if what If you don't feel doing. like you're not getting a good deal and if, if yeah. your material is not being put in the in the proper place, then yeah, I, I mean, I, I assume a lot of people would would self-publish if they if they could. Right. Uh, so that's the you're bringing up a good point. The stigma until ebooks self-publishing, it was called vanity press because it was egotistical to think that you knew more than a publishing house did. And it, it was just these small presses that for the right price, they would print it. But then it's like, how are you going to, you can't put it on Barnes and Noble shelves. Like before eBooks, it was not easy at all to get right. your thing out to people. But of course we love the success story. So you also have an, a more modern example is The Martian by Andy Weir. Ah, yeah, that hadn't occurred to me, yeah. So he published that on his website, one chapter at a time for free, and then put it out on Kindle, again, e-publishing, helping a lot, for 99 cents, sold more, more people read it for 99 cents than they did for free on his website. 
So then a publisher bought the printing rights for $100,000. And of course, it spent 19 weeks on the bestseller list and the wow. movie that it was that was based off was the eighth highest grossing film of 2015. Yeah, directed by Ridley Scott and starring yeah. <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> so that's a crazy success story. I thought it was also interesting that he, alongside the self-publishing thing, also ties into the fan fiction world. So previous to oh, this, no he, way. Had, he had written a fan fiction prequel to the book Ready Player One. What? And in an updated printing of Ready Player One, I think after 2016, it is now the prologue prequel. It became canon to the Ready Player Whoa. One story. So it's in the Whoa. books now. As- <laughs> so like actual fan fiction then crossed the barrier and became yeah. canon. That's incredible. I've never yeah. heard of that before. Yeah. So that's, he had huge success in both self Can you imagine if like Star Wars like wanted to adopt like a fan film on YouTube into their, <laughs> like, right. you know, like that's what we're talking, like it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So now let's talk about where the kissing booth came from, which is a merging of these two things. And it's a website called Wattpad, which came around. I was around, totally yeah. oblivious to this. <laughs> yeah, as Completely. was I. I, I mean, I, maybe I'd heard a snippet of it, but it never right. interested me. Right. Came about in 2006 by this guy, Alan Lau. It started just as mobile reading. So that was his goal. He was like, we want to be able to have people to read things on their cell phone. But he okay. had no knowledge of the publishing system. So he was like, well, how, do, how can we apply the YouTube methodology to it? which was just mm. getting big there as well. So he's like, oh, well, we should have user-submitted stuff. And it was very oh, okay. depressing. He said in the first two years, they had maybe a, a few hundred users. But also remember, this is pre-Kindle, pre-iPhone, yeah, pre-smartphone. Yeah, what year is this? Yeah. So he's 2006. So he's still like people reading it on the mm-hmm. flip Nokias. You've but never seen that- an iPhone yet. <laughs> right. At this time, that's the, you know, like <laughs> it wasn't an uh, app. Yeah, it was a, it we, was a we, website. I, I forget because I forget how far and how fast we have come since 2005, mm-hmm. <laughs> 2000 yeah. even. I mean, my God. Yeah. People did not read stuff on their phone. So that's what he was interested in making happen. He also, the big bulk of it came from people submitting their own things. And as it just grew over time, I think by year six, was when he really saw the hockey stick spike of users. And like I said before, they have 80 million monthly users. The other thing that really helps is they have a social media element to it. So there's interactive commenting in the margins. So you can click on a particular paragraph of a piece that somebody has written and you can see the hundreds or whatever comments that people have based on that particular piece. And so that's where it's been very prosperous in terms of- That is really cool. I've never heard of anything like that. To actually like a, a, you know, follow along with an audience somehow is that you're reading, you're reading a book, but somehow you're able to see everyone's reaction to this specific line. And it's funny that it's not just, yeah, because you you can easily see comments at the bottom of a blog post, but to Mm -hmm. follow with it, Line by line, and yeah, line. That's see. the part about it that I think is incredible. Is line by line, you can see the reactions. You're part. You're with it. You you can follow along even years after the fact. You know, like yeah, and have an audience that somehow together. Uh, that that's really staggering. I've never really even considered something like that for books. I mean, good lord. Yeah. There's also <laughs> line by line. That's because awesome. most of these people. So seventy percent of the users are female, and eighty percent are millennial or Gen Z. So there's been academic studies about whether this particular model aids in writer growth, or it does or doesn't help the quality of it or the amount. Mm-hmm. Because this is a big part of the people that do put stuff on here is right. it allows you to just keep putting out work. If you feel like the weird person in school because you like to write, well, you can put this up on here and get millions and millions of people to both read and comment and critique 
And maybe it'll become a franchise on Netflix. You never know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, that's what's crazy. So on the homepage now, I went to it for Wattpad. The advertising is see your story. And then the three things they say is get produced to movie or film, get adapted to TV series, and then third, get published. And they talk about the different partners that they have. Click, 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 click. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that leads us to let's talk about what the fallout is of this type of thing now becoming more accessible, both the combination of fan fiction and self-publishing. Okay. One of the things that started it out was Twilight, which we all know about. And if you're interested in us doing a whole bigger series or something on oh, that, yeah, I know we, we haven't touched it, that. but it's a massive thing. And also the newer book is coming out next week, I think, from, oh, no, another, the, guy, another from the guy's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let us know. Maybe we can uh, make, do, a, do a run on that sometime. That'd be really fascinating. Um, but that came out in 2005. We all know four book, five film saga, 3.3 billion in the global box office. My principal and football coach both read it at the same time. (laughs) Shocking. Loved it. (laughs) Uh, But starting the controversial young adult, is it sexual enough or not? Is it too escapist or not? All of that stuff. She did not have a self-publishing fan fictional background, but this is kind of where it opens the door to seeing, oh, here's this layman person who hasn't really done anything, who then has this giant 100,000 page book that makes billions of dollars. Somehow, some way, Hollywood got the idea that they could take a no one writer with some subscribers and make it into a massive (laughs) franchise, like the the biggest franchise of it uh, at its time. Mm -hmm. So that's the start of that. Now we have all of these works that are about vampires and werewolves and paranormal stuff. We come to this gal, Beth Reekles, who originally, and she is the author of the book, The Kissing Booth, who wrote it on Wattpad. So she started in 2011 because she said when she started writing, Twilight was big, everything was paranormal, and she wanted a regular high school romance. Right. right. So this thing racked up 19 million views on Wattpad. Because it was and, accessible and relatable. It was, mm-hmm. down, it was down to earth. It wasn't, yeah. about, it wasn't genre or, or tone. It was, it was supposed to be more real. It was supposed yeah. to be a real experience and yeah. just trying to figure out what, how to navigate that. So then publishers come looking for her through Wattpad because at that point they don't even know. I mean, she's just a username. And she's how old? She's 17. Oh my gosh. She didn't finish high school. Yeah. But it was interesting because they started searching for this American girl because it takes place in Los Angeles and it's American school, but she is actually from Wales in the United Kingdom. So Random House discovered her there. I didn't didn't know that either. Wow. Yeah. Which is interesting because coming from the context of what we're talking about where it's like, oh yeah, this is a 17-year-old girl who is writing to anonymous people on the internet in England. She had no intention of it becoming at this point in what the website is a multi-million dollar international teen icon sensation. Right. And if you're 17 years old, you're in the thick of it. You're not writing from a retrospective standpoint of like, what am I trying to get people to learn about this? No, she's just- You're trying to understand the storm while you're in the eye of it, which is incredibly hard to do. But there's also a real valid, there's a validity to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, she is a 17-year-old girl. So I mean, when it comes down to the the dialogue and really the the plot and what's going on, I get it. It's, yeah, yeah, that's not the problem. It's everything around it mm-hmm. that just starts. I worry about kids thinking that this 
it should be their high school experience yeah. because I'll tell you if this is your high school experience if you feel if you relate to these people and everything that they have and do in these things you're really lucky uh, because that is just not the case and and I I just I hope that kids aren't looking at this and being discouraged about where they are yeah. in their life compared to what they see on the screen that's that's where I think this can do detriment mm -hmm. where this can do good is if you don't take it too seriously and you really want to just breathe and have some fun and be entertained don't take it too seriously yeah. I think it it can do a lot of good and it can make you think I mean there's there's not nothing going on here in the plot this is this is a girl that is really torn she has her her lifelong best friend and his brother and how do you keep both of those going there's there's some meat to that yeah. and there's there's interesting questions that come up along the way for sure i i just wish that it i i fear that it will make kids more depressed about their own situation i i just yeah. i don't i would i would rather i would rather something where kids aren't distracted by how pretty their houses are the cars are or like what they're doing I, or there's already enough escapist. I don't know. I don't know. I can't speak to. It. I mean, maybe that's why it, it's it's also an interesting thing. It's just why we brought it up. Critically hated, but yet why it's almost like a. It, I wouldn't maybe necessarily. Hey, say I watched a both train crash, but day. it's like <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't look away kind of thing as well. Yeah. It's like it, well, why, you know, and, and I, I experienced it. I experienced yeah. it just the same because I wasn't expecting to like be into it, and I sat there and watched both of them in one day. I wasn't sick yeah. of it. It was entertaining, but it is thought provoking in a lot of different ways beyond just the what's presented in the plot, yeah, um, and and the conversation around it, and and around even particular character archetypes. There are you know there's yeah. con there's big conversation as to whether there this is misogynistic or if you know what Abusive what is this trying to say stuff. exactly yeah. what is this yeah. saying about uh female identity what is it saying about masculinity uh yeah. all, well, me, all of those yeah. things it can, it runs into some troubles and a lot of people don't don't like it and a lot of people do like it uh, <laughs> right. let's uh, let's it, talk about two yeah. other two other things that are come after this that maybe inform the discussion a little bit more so 50 yeah. shades of gray by E.L. James on the 2013 Forbes list of the highest earning authors, $100 million. It was saying that she, at that point, she was probably earning a million dollars a week oh on God. these books. Her thing is based on the thing that we talked about before, Twilight. So she had, she's a middle-aged woman. She had absorbed Twilight in a few days, then set out on her own to write the fan fiction sequels in 2009. Oh, she wow. used the names Edward Cullen and Bella Swan, put it up on fan fiction sites after discovering that that was a thing online, and but then she, the, it, this is the beginning of Fifty Shades of Grey, the plot. But it's it using, is Fifty Shades of Grey. It yeah, is yeah, Fifty yeah. Shades of Grey, but she, it's in, it was originally thought of as a fan uh, fiction extension of the Twilight series. Yes, exactly. Wild. Oh my god. And gosh. so, but she didn't even know about the fan fiction world. But then she put it up on there. People liked it. She decided again to self-publish, tying both of those things together. So she publishes it on Kindle, changing the names though. Sure. And then it was bought by publishing company in 2012, then sold massive amounts, not the self-published form. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, which That's she doesn't tie into, E.L. James doesn't tie into Wattpad, but this one does, and this is even more recent. There was a movie and book called After yes. that came out by Anna Todd. This one had over a billion hits on the site Wattpad. Now, correct so me if I'm wrong. That's after started as a fan fiction about Harry Styles. 
Yes. So this this gal, Anna Todd, was a One Direction fan. She portrays them as students at Washington State University. And the story follows Tessa Young, who is an quote, innocent good girl who gets caught up in a relationship with the bad boy who is Harry Styles. And then when it, when it was no longer self-published and became the print book and the film, it, the name was changed to Harden Scott instead of Harry Styles. Gotcha. But it was entirely One Direction fan fiction that was then self-published through Wattpad. That's what I that's what I thought, but I wanted to verify that. How bizarre. And, and it has a sequel coming out either this year or next year. The, yeah, the sequel is coming out this year. This gal, Anna Todd, loved, she said, Fifty Shades, which is why it was based in Washington and Seattle, because that's where Fifty Shades was. But also Fifty Shades is based there because Twilight was based there. Uh-huh. And it was a fan fiction. So it's just this rolling wave so of fan fiction. So after is based in Seattle, Washington, because Twilight. Twilight of Fifty is. Shades because of <laughs> Twilight, yeah. <laughs> but it's just amazing her story and how she was able to get this. She was 25 years old, was a waitress at Waffle House and at the makeup counter at the mall, was on chapter 80 of this thing, writing it from her phone on Wattpad. They contracted her because they wanted to turn it into a multi-part series, but she kept ignoring their emails because she was like, oh, this is spam. They finally <laughs> called her and then gave her a three-book deal in the mid six figures and then Paramount bought the film rights. And now there's a sequel from that. She has written nine more books. Um, Wow. I think the thing going back to sort of what we were talking about in tying this to the kissing booth, I had seen, according to the national domestic abuse hotline, Mm -hmm. there are several warning signs that you might be in an abusive relationship. And the unfortunate thing is these elements plague all of these stories um, as well as all of these stories being written by women that's and, that's kind yeah. of what that was part of what i was interested here is i knew this was written by a woman and i knew it's it's uh rewritten and directed by a man uh the, the kissing booth in particular it's just a, an odd contrast of it's, it's a very not- odd contrast the, that it's coming from a female writer and then being comported through the the lens of a male yeah, I wonder how much that has to do with what is lost in the material there. And I want to restate again, it's not that this I would not say that the film is presenting this as you should be like this and this is <laughs> right. OK. They just don't do quite enough to say this is bad. Right. It doesn't now quite know, go into, yeah. whoa, he's over the line. And it doesn't ever give the Noah character enough agency to really peel those layers away and understand if you right. had that piece of it, perhaps you can recontextualize that and give him more of an arc that makes all of his actions make more sense and give mm-hmm. him actually a place to end up by the end. That doesn't really happen. Uh, and perhaps knowing some of the context as we do of fan fiction and, and self-publishing, it's like the intent behind these original things. Now it's changed on Wattpad, but originally it's like, oh, here's somebody who is young and in this place in life, or in the case of Fifty Shades of Grey, a middle-aged woman who is, she's like, this is just my midlife crisis writ large on the page. She said that. It's like, it's not not designed to be the authoritative text on what you're supposed to do in these situations. A 17-year-old girl is likely just not going to have the the answer even like I I don't know like I'm, maybe but I I think the purpose of her writing here is is not about trying to say something about these particular themes in, in right. particular. She's talking to a larger experience and and it's largely fantasy. When you're reading that on Wattpad from somebody you're not expecting that but if you're watching it as a massive production on Netflix, you do expect them to say something a little bit more. Right. So you said you had had something that might be a good counter to this. Oh, yeah. And before, one one more thing before I move on to that, but my thematic problems here 
I think are mostly contained to the first movie. His characteristics, those, those crazy characteristics, somehow don't carry into the second movie. He has one moment where he's about to get into a fight and he doesn't. Uh, and that's it. So it's interesting that I feel like they heard all that criticism and then tried to redirect on it. And right. I think they're mostly successful, but it doesn't do. And it still does not give the Noah character enough agency to be able to say this is why he is why, what he is. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to say that I think the kissing booth one is more of the uh, the guilty party here than the sequel. But just moving on, if you're interested in these types of themes, I mean, this is the, the, the plot here is a girl is dating her best friend's brother, you know, and if you want something more real, if you want something a little more grounded, but dealing with all of these same themes, mm-hmm. one suggestion I would have for our audience out there is the 2016 film Edge of 17. It's directed by a woman. It's starring uh, Haley uh, Steinfeld. She was from True Grit. She's a singer as well. She's a singer. She was in Transformers. Yeah. She uh, she has a new uh, show, Dickinson, on Apple TV. Lovely actress. She stars in Edge of Seventeen. The plot of that high school life gets even more unbearable for Nadine when her best friend Krista starts dating her older brother. So it's almost <laughs> identical in the premise. Yeah. Uh, and I've nominated seen for, this and it's, you have? it's much more, yeah, it's much more real and grounded. I really enjoyed it and presents the complications and confusions of teen romance in a I, I, m- I couldn't more say awkward, no. you know, less over the top way. This is not spectacle and fantasy and it's not down. It's not like depressing. It's humorous. It's, it yeah, is yeah. just <laughs> very in the middle. It feels very real and you're not supposed to be looking at like what the character cards are driving, what they're, you know, it is much more grounded. Uh, but dealing with so much more, uh, so mm-hmm. much of the same thematics that the kissing booth is. So if 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 the kissing booth is a bit too fantastical or or big or weird for you, but you're interested in, in and you're looking for something really dealing with this on a grounded level, Edge of Seventeen is right there. I, I can't say enough good about this film. I think people really missed it in 2016. And then alongside talking mm-hmm. about. The kissing booth as a property. These actors are still actors and people, and they are continuing to do other things. It's interesting that the main, um, the actor Jacob Elordi, he's on a show now on HBO called Euphoria, and it's pretty much the exact mm. opposite of the kissing booth. It's about mm-hmm. teenagers and drug abuse and addiction and sex, and it is very I- controversial, I guess, for the rawness and reality with which it depicts those things. And people are saying, oh, maybe it even has the criticism of like, it goes too far, too far. into the reality as opposed <laughs> to the unreality. But I thought it was interesting because Jacob was saying, he's like, it's almost like writing my wrongs a little bit because the character in the kissing booth is awful and it's never really explained. And so he says, I suppose this show is showing why. Not that they're tied oh, to it, but it's interesting. Sure. It's like, yeah, that was the first the first movie he ever made as an actor was The Kissing Booth. Oh, wow. And so now all of these actors as well, it's like we're doing other things. We're seeing what other options we have as actors. And so there are other pieces of media. It's not like he is Noah. Right. I think right. That's, right. That kind of gets lost in like the fan fiction. Were they dating? All of that stuff <laughs> is all mixed up. It's like, no, there are other people. And even he saying, hey, I realize that maybe this wasn't the best character to play. Right. Um, yeah, I haven't seen Euphoria, but I have heard nothing but incredible things about Euphoria on HBO. Uh, so if you again, if you're interested in, in some of these things, if, if Kissing Booth is maybe too fan, you know, fantasy for you, Euphoria might make you feel guilty for things you never did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you uh, know or write on Wattpad or know any of this stuff, I was oh, just fascinated yeah. by the self-publishing and fan fiction world. If that's something that you're interested in, please 
message us, let us know what you thought of the kissing booth. If you did like it, if you read the book and thought, yeah, anybody, anybody out there that's that's had experience with Wattpad or might know anything about this. I mean, what did you what did you think about <laughs> what did you think about the movie compared to what you read in the entire platform? It's a totally new thing for me. So it's really interesting, and I, I don't know where it's going to go next. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, if anybody out there has any any thoughts on that, we would love to hear that. Reach out to us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. Send us a message. All right. Well, thank you, Taylor. Thank this you. has been great. We will catch you all on the flip flop. Yeah.